Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin, Shane, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Oh, man, I am uh, excited for this episode. We got a ton of great content. I got you back on the show. How you yeah. doing, brother? Dude, doing good, doing real good. I, I'm coming off something, man. You know, I thought it was COVID, but I guess it's not. But uh, I was just telling you, today was like the first day I felt like good. So I am, I'm, I'm excited. I'm pumped up. My oldest is coming in to visit, so uh, we're gonna have a, gonna have dinner after this. So every, all is well in the Shane household, brother. <laughs> well, that's great, Shane. But let me ask you: Are you having? the same meal as Will Levis and the Kentucky Wildcats. Did you see what they had as, oh, for God. their team dinner? Okay. I have not. I mean, first thing I thought of was banana and mayonnaise, so I have no idea what they had for dinner. <laughs> they posted this online. I'll share it on the YouTube page, Shane. Gator, of course. They had some oh, gator okay. after beating Florida right. in the swap. We got to keep giving them credit. Top 10 team, number one in the East right now. They're the only mm-hmm. SEC East team with a victory in conference play. So they're enjoying themselves right now, and they deserve it after what may be uh, the most impressive win in the country so far this year. You know what? Hey, Mike, that'll be floating around East Tennessee next week, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> I've had the gator meat. Now, i am tell you, I'm not a big fan. Everybody tells you it tastes like chicken and yeah, bad chicken, you know. <laughs> I mean, you got to throw more seasoning on to make a gator good, but maybe I just haven't had the right the right chef yet. But yeah. Uh no, good job. Good job. Congratulate uh Kentucky, but you know, you you can't you can't let it slide, man. You know, you nope. I mean, App State's a prime example. You got to get back on the horse and get ready for next week. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Tennessee, Shane, so let's jump on down to Rocky Top next where I don't know if you saw this yet, Shane, but Jalen Hyatt here on Tuesday met with the media. He says them Vols, Shane, got the best receiving core in the SEC. Let's kick mm-hmm. it over to him. Uh, Coach Gola said that he wants you guys to believe that you're the best offense in the country. Is that something you agree with? Is that the mindset every week? Yeah, that's every, that's every day. Uh, every time we come in the facility, every time we meet, um, that's the standard. You know, we want to be the best offense in the in the country, and um, it starts every day in practice. It starts every time we prepare um, for anybody we're playing that week. So, you know, that's that's the mindset, and that's the standard every day. Jalen, as well as you, Cedric, and Brew are playing right now, is there a better wide receiver room in the country? I think we're the best receiver uh, core in the SEC, um, and – you know, to do that, we got to keep doing what we're doing, uh, keep making explosive plays. Um, when Hook throws it up, you know, it's not a 50-50 ball. We have to come down with it every time just to be the best receiver guard in the SEC. Um, I'm very, I, I feel very comfortable with the guys we have, uh, especially with Hook being the quarterback. Uh, we just got to keep going every day. Hey, Shade, I, I just love this because, <laughs> hey, you're 2-0. You're sitting here pretty. You're, you're hosting Akron. Mm-hmm. You're a 50-point favorite in the ball game. Now, I already know the answer to the question because I know who I'm asking it to, but <laughs> does Tennessee really have the best receivers in the SEC? At this moment, I mean, show me a better crew. You know, I, I mean, Mississippi State, probably a close second there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just talking production, yeah. uh, you know, and maybe Georgia hasn't been, you know, had an opportunity to open their theirs up yet. And, you know, Alabama, I mean – They've got the star power, but yeah, right now, as far as body of proof through this season, how can you not say the Tennessee Volunteers? And that's not it's not me being a homer, it's me being realistic. Oh, okay, okay, Shane. Well, I would disagree. I, I would give it to Mississippi State a slight edge right now, but I'll tell you what, if Jalen Hyatt, he's the key to this question, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Not that he's played poorly, but he's been a guy that's been hyped up for a while. He came on strong at the tail end of last season. He scored immediately right out the gate against Ball State. If he mm-hmm. continues his production, then yes, I I will say Volunteers right there, and they should have one hell of a, a day again. They're favored by 50 over Akron, who I had completely forgotten, Shane. Or I honestly I didn't even know. Oh, Joe Moorhead, Mississippi State legend, is their head coach, and you found this clip, Shane. So I just wanted to throw this over real quick. It's been a long, long time since this show featured a Joe Moorhead comment 
But he yeah. he was asked about that Tennessee pit game. Well, Sleepy Joe, I done forgot about him. What are you expecting from Tennessee this week, given the way that they lost? Tennessee, they ended up beating Pitt in overtime. Did they? Yeah, they beat Pitt in overtime. Oh, yeah, it ended up right. going to overtime. They won. Yeah, so, so they won 34-27 in overtime. Yeah, <laughs> how great was this though, Shane? I mean, I don't know, poor media guy down there in Akron, but uh, he yeah. don't even know the scores of the games he's he's covering. You know what? Mike, journalism is not dead. You know, <laughs> <laughs> come on now, that should be on that segment they do on ESPN. Come on now, <laughs> don't even know who who they played last week, what the outcome was. You know, and it's funny because he's one of a few people that didn't. Uh, I saw the numbers came out, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Florida, uh, millions, millions of followers. And then you had uh, Texas and, and Alabama apparently was the most watched game ever. I don't know if that's true. I haven't fact-checked that. But, you know, there's a lot of people watching SEC football last weekend. I think they said the most watched Fox Sports game ever. Oh, well, they you, don't count. I mean, Big 12, <laughs> Big Noon kick out, you know. But, but they get one SEC game in there, and my God, yeah. it, it, the ratings are through <laughs> the roof. You know what? Well, they've been advertising this damn thing for months now, <laughs> so that, that's good for them. Money's money's paid off. But uh, but again, did I don't know if you saw it. And I, we'll we'll throw it up there on the on the on the pod here if you're watching on YouTube. But uh, Tennessee and uh, the Kentucky Florida game were right there. Uh, neck and neck with, I, th- I want to say, collectively 7 million people watching. So it was a big deal. Yeah, the SEC had three of the top watched games over the weekend. So, mm-hmm. man, just an incredible, incredible number, Shane. But I'll tell you where they're not incredible. We got to kick it down to College Station. Jimbo Fisher, Ugh. he's having to answer some tough, tough questions, Shane. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can't remember if I referenced this on the show, if I referenced this on the the, the Twitter spaces, but – you know, there was a stat that, uh, you know, if you're down your center, you you fail to cover about 80% of the time in college football. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I'm sitting here saying, well, wait, Auburn's center mm-hmm. medically retired before the season started. Texas A&M has been without Bryce Foster, their center. Maybe there is something to this center being out, being a real, real issue in college football. But the reason I bring that up, Shane, good news for the Aggies. Bryce Foster, their standout center, expected mm-hmm. back. For the Miami game now, that having your center is not going to cure every issue you got on offense, but it's a it's a good place to start for them Aggies. But let's kick it over to Jimbo Shane because again, you know he he's admitting there's issues, but it, it doesn't seem like he's taking too much accountability in my opinion. And and still he's hyping up Appalachian and all their veteran players and get, all this. Get out of here! I, I, get out of here with that bullshit. Yeah, we, we there's no more excuses. So let's kick it over to him. Right. Coach, when you get into the season, do you ever have a, a worry that maybe your system is a little too complex for your quarterback room? No. Our guys know exactly what they're doing. And if you look at it, it's not just everybody says the quarterback room, but those mistakes, they were ready to do some things they were right and miss a block, get a route too deep, or get a get a route or they cover a guy and get in the next guy. I mean, no. They know it. They can see it, do it, and we had throws be made, and we missed some throws. I mean, there's, there's a physical part of that, too. They know exactly what to do. If you got into a point in the season where, where things just weren't clicking, would you ever consider simplifying some of the decision-making? In, oh, in we do the all the time. There are a lot of those decisions were very simple, and we, we constantly evaluate that. We evaluate all that stuff every day. When guys make decisions, how they're decision-making, how they're handling it in practice and what goes on and what goes on in the game, that's an ever-going ever thing that's always done by game plan, by – what they do on defense, what you're doing on offense all the time. Okay, Brent. A head coach has a lot of duties during the course of the mm-hmm. game. It seems like you have your hands full. Would you ever consider turning the play calling over to someone to where perhaps the offense could be more efficient? In time I would, yeah, possibly on? could. I mean, yeah, there's you always evaluate those things. And everything we do, evaluate everything we do. And it is a, it's a conglomerate of play calling, too. I mean, we're getting information from everybody and thoughts and the ideas that we put down in those calls and what we do going in the game on our sheets is it's a, collect, it's a collective group decisions based off our offensive staff and what we do and how we do things. But, yes, possibly, yes. So you don't ever feel like maybe your ego would get in the way of that? You can no. say, hey, whatever it takes to win. Listen, no, whatever it takes to win. I'm always whatever it takes to win. No, my ego would not. Winning takes all effect over everything. We'll I for, promise you that. Jimbo, down yes, here. a couple of the guys alluded to 2020 with Alabama, and they said how that was kind of a – 
a wake-up call type game and how you guys won, won after that. Mm-hmm. Do you view this as somewhat of a wake-up call type game? And can you, uh, what can you well, use it moving forward? That all depends on how you wake up and what you do the next day and how you respond to it and what you do to things. And like I say, it, it, life's about what you do the next part of it and the next day and the next play and whatever happens to it. Hopefully that'll be a, a great thing. And I, I like them referencing that they, they're capable of doing that and what happens and the way things go. Now we have to prove that on the practice field and go. We had a very veteran team in that group, and I think they understood the importance of details, which we talk about all the time, which guys still strive for all the time and, and do what we do. Like I said in that game, I don't think effort or anything else determined that. I think we played very hard and very physically. We just didn't execute at a high level and hopefully we'll practice better to be able to execute during the game and I'm I promise you I'm all for that um, quarterback situation do you think uh, will you be considering a, a change at the start possibly could I mean we'll evaluate everything this week we'll evaluate every position this week and all the things and different guys uh, coach in terms of the consistency of the execution you're seeing in practice offensively mm-hmm. is it where you want it to be in practice and it's just not showing oh, no. up on game day or are there some things that you're having some trouble with both. Consistency. I mean, right. both. But we had we're not playing with the exact consistency all the way through. But we had a really. I thought we had a good week of practice last week. I felt comfortable going into what we did. But then then you'll have your little spurts, and we had them right off the bat here. We had them right off the bat. Well, like I say, got behind the eight ball, off that. And then the third drive we score, and then uh, the fourth drive I was excited. We had a shot play and had the guy who actually got the sack should have been double teamed. We had him double teamed and taking a one on one shot and didn't get it, you know, and didn't get it down there. A couple just some things that young guys in there just. We got to get fixed, but that's not on guys. That's on coaching too. Listen, we have to make sure they understand exactly what they're doing, how they're doing it, and what we do. And we got to coach them better, put them in those positions to be successful to do that. But yes, that's where senior leadership and having fourth and fifth year guys does make a difference. I mean, but that's the world we're in today. We're not into the fourth and fifth year world anymore. Some schools are now. App State is a school that was almost every guy on their team except for three or four was a fourth year guy. You know what I mean? And that matter. I mean, I think that does matter. It's not, it's not an excuse for anything, but I think when you have older people, it's like a, a 22-year-old mind is not the same as an 18, 19-year-old mind. I think those things matter. But that's the world we're in in college football and the, and the high, the high-level schools are recruiting well because those guys are three and done. By the time they're 21, most of them are heading out to pro football or, or haven't played and are transferred. I mean, that's kind of the world you're in. So those are issues in which you have, and but you know, you still got to coach them and do well, and like everybody else does. All right, Shane. So, man, I don't want to say he's he's uh, under fire there, but but this is the first time in a while Jimbo has faced some of these tough questions from uh, a very fair media down there in College Station, I think. Uh, but I don't know what's your takeaways on all this. It, you know, it's a lot of excuses I'm hearing from Jimbo. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot, and, and I'm going to tell you, Mike, they're piling on. There is a there is a microscope down there in College Station, and they're going to dissect anything and everything. From the coaching to the players, you know, I don't know I, if you saw that video sent over earlier. There's a allegedly uh, one of the cornerbacks down there, and I won't mention his name, was driving around crazy in a parking garage. You got uh, people coming out talking about the the book because we all saw him on the sideline holding that book. It looked like them that coach off Waterboy, you know, and he's just he's. <laughs> That if he ain't got that book, you know, he can't call the plays, you know. I don't know if that's out of a movie or not, but you got that. And then, you know, you do got a quarterback controversy here because your quarterback one is not producing. So, yeah, yeah that this is – and it's, it's a joke to compare App State to to Alabama, but it, it is – it week one should have been a wake-up call, Mike, and it wasn't. Yeah. So, that worries me because week two was a, was a huge upset. So, you know – I, I am so scared of of this Miami team that's coming in. I mean, what what in your in the right mind thinks that this is even going to be a ball game? Just given the body of proof that that Aggies have done since Week One. Well, I still think overall, A and M's got a better roster, but hell, they they got a significantly better roster than Appalachian, and they couldn't get it done. But I, you know, I think maybe there is something to. I don't want to say a rallying cry, but um, I I do think. It's very easy to pile on Jimbo and the Aggies because of, of all the money and all the NIL uh, rumors and speculation and all that. And, and just they're, you know, they, they have not performed at an elite level, yet they are hyped as an elite program every offseason. And I do not think they're going to be one in five like some people. It's, easy, it's very easy to point at the schedule and say, my God, they got four world beaters coming in here. They're going to lose to all of them. I think they'll win a couple of these games, but it has got to start here with Miami because, in my opinion, Shane, this is 
of these four games upcoming, Miami is, is the worst of them because we're talking Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Alabama. You ain't beating any of those if you're losing to Miami, and, and this is the only one you get at home. So it's got to start here. This is not a game where we're going to fire Jimbo if he loses it, but incredible, incredible pressure. The players have got to be locked in. They have got to clean up the issues that have plagued them early in the season. And I think they can get it done, but this is suddenly one of the most fascinating games in the country this weekend, Miami at A&M, don't you think? Oh, how can it not be, Mike? It is a pressure cooker, and and I'm telling you, it's just like everybody, everybody other than Aggie fans wants Texas A&M to fail. Because right. it's a fun story. You're seeing these uh, these calling kids, you know, they're, they're doing this stupid thing on the sidelines, talking about App State, so stupid jokes, you know. It was fun at the time. It was cute at midnight, you know. But now that you've lost to this team, you don't want this type of stuff to get out because you are a mockery to the nation, you know. And how do you – but it can be repaired. And it gets repaired by – changing something up man doing something different come out here and you know i we've been told texas a&m is great and they got a ton of talent we've been told we've been fed that all summer long but they've not produced on the field now's the time come out here on the national stage because everybody's going to be watching because they're expecting miami to win this game if you could come out and you can whoop their ass then nobody's talking about the wheels falling off down there in texas a&m Right, and I swear, Shane, I'm not trying to pile on Jimbo, but this is just facts here. This is uh, from David Hale. He covers college football for ESPN. He yeah. did. He dug up some research, Shane. In the last 10 recruiting classes that Jimbo has signed, mm-hmm. his quarterbacks of those 10 classes have started 89 games and mm-hmm. just 39, 39 of the 89 games started – those quarterbacks started for the teams that Jimbo recruited them to. So 50 of those starts come outside another program. These quarterbacks are overall record 45 and 44, so so basically 500 record, and two of them ended up on last chance U. So, you know, again, this is not like his reputation as, as this awesome quarterback coach. This is 10 years of issues of, of misevaluating or mis or, or failing to develop, and th- and this has this has got to get corrected. This is the number one issue with A and M. They got all the talent in the world, they got all the pieces, but they have struggled at quarterback. And just based on this stat, I don't know if Jimbo can get that done. That that doesn't mean his his tenure is going to be a complete failure or anything, but it does mean, in my opinion, Shane, they have got to maybe hire somebody that can help Jimbo with developing and recruiting quarterbacks. No, I, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. This is, you know, I mean, you, they're coming after him. I mean, look, we're digging up stats from Jimbo. I mean, it's not going to be long. We're going to be talking about his childhood and his upbringing <laughs> and where he was, you know, failed as why he should still be on Saban's staff or something. You know, this yeah. is, this is nonsense. You've got talent down there. You've got the facilities. There's not a better, I'm telling you, Mike. It, we we talked about this in the uh, in, in the off season. You know, one of the best jobs in the country, I think, is Texas A&M because expectations are getting higher, but they're not there. Uh, but you've got everything. You've got all the tangible pieces. You got even this NIL man. You took it by the balls, and you are like you're leading. Mm-hmm. The, you're getting the talent down there, but. You know, you've got to do something with it because if you don't, somebody's going to come in and they're going to look like an absolute hero. So, mm. you know, now's, now or never. I mean, come on, Jimbo. Now, one other uh, place, Shane, where they're kind of dealing with, uh, I don't want to say hot seat, but a little turmoil there with the fan base. Let's kick it over to Columbia, Missouri, where old Drink has got one of the best quotes we're probably going to get this week, Shane. He quotes... The legendary Bill Parcells. They've got uh, Abilene Christian. I mean, they should smoke them. We'll, we'll start hitting the panic button if Missouri loses to Abilene <laughs> Christian. But let's kick it over to Drickwitz. You're going to love this comment. I know every every individual kind of handles it differently. What's your sense for how Brady handles, you know, the, the coming off a rough game and the criticism that comes with that and how he 
kind of processes that. Yeah, praise and blame are all the same. Yeah, you can't get caught up either way. You can't read the message boards when they're good, and you can't read them when they're bad. Um, the reality of it is he defines his own success by the standard that he performs and the standard that we perform as a team. And uh, we were below that standard, uh, but it doesn't have to define us. One game is not the season. Um, and I think everybody this day and age is real quick to want to make snap judgments. And after a, after a glimpse, uh, we're two football games in, uh, had some really good, had some really bad. Um, but, um, you know, there's an old Bill Parcells quote that talks about, um, you know, losers assemble in groups and complain. And I would add, get on Twitter and message boards and, and, uh, and have all the answers. And winners assemble as a team and find ways to win. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to assemble as a team and find ways to win. And we're not going to focus on the toxicity or neg negativity. That has nothing to do with winning and won't produce an, any type of outcome for us that we want it to be. So our focus is how do we circle up as a coaching staff, as a player, as a Mizzou football program and find ways to win. All right, Chase. So, hey, we were, we've been public on this before. You know, we've got to back up our coach. It's yeah. way, way, way too early for Missouri to be throwing in the, the towel here on the drink era. Um, but understandably, that, that Kansas State loss was ugly. That's, you know, inexcusable. Yeah. You can't be having this. But at the same time, Shane, you turn around here, you whip Abilene, and you go on the road to Auburn the following week. Auburn, of course, mm -hmm. is playing Penn State this Saturday. Who knows what's going to happen in that ball game? But hell of a lot can change in a two-week span. And, you know, this may be a defining couple of weeks here for Missouri and Drink. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. And and thing with Mizzou is they, they got to keep winning the games they're supposed to win mm -hmm. and, and try to steal some of these 50-50 games. And I'm not saying Kansas State was, but – I mean, Vegas has it a one-score game, you know, so that's, in my eyes, a 50-50, and you got to mm -hmm. keep them close. So, you know, bounce back this week, tune up, fix the mistakes you made last week because there were several. Uh, but, again, this is something you, you're you're establishing a, a, a foundation there. So I, I'm not burying them, but, you know, this is the SEC, and, and we want wins now, not later. So, um, you know, just – just bounce back. I mean, what else can you say? Just fix the errands and 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 get your playmakers more involved. Mm -hmm. Now, Shane, what looks to be the game of the weekend in the SEC? Mississippi State traveling down to LSU. Let's talk some some bulldog football here. Mm -hmm. Mike Leach and company, red hot, two and zero, just whipped Arizona on the road. Destroyed Memphis in the opener. Now, people, we can find out for real if Mississippi State is legitimate. Mm -hmm. We've been hyping them up, but it, none of that matters until you perform in conference play. Mississippi State, of course, uh, you know, went to the wire with LSU. LSU won in Starkville, but last time they were down in, in Death Valley. Mississippi State, yeah, just a heroic performance there from their offense, setting records. It's a new LSU team, obviously. But, uh, you know, this is a great spot, I think, for Mississippi State and their veteran team going up a, a Brian Co Kelly coached LSU that is, mm -hmm. you know, they got talent too. Let's No mistake, this, is, this could be a very, very tight ball game. But when you talk about experience and leadership, I think I'd sure rather have Mississippi State's team than LSU's in this matchup. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if you're not listening to this podcast, there's no one else talking about Mississippi State short of local stations, you know. It's right. just they're not getting the respect they deserve. Obviously, look in the AP polls. There's no reason this shouldn't be a top 25 team. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking more about LSU's cupcake game last week than we talked about Mississippi State going out there and, and, and laying the hammer to Arizona. So I think this is a catapult game. For, for Mississippi State. This is going to wake up the country and let them know that this is a legit program in the West, and it's going to be the toughest test that LSU's had this year, in my opinion. You know, Florida State played them good, but Florida State is nowhere near as talented as Mississippi State is. Or, or maybe I shouldn't say talented, but like you said, just on the same page. You know, like the, right. their, their offense is a machine right now. It, it's it, They're fine-tuning a few things, and, and if they manage to do that against 
you know, LSU, boy, I mean, this may be Brian Kelly's toughest matchup in a long time. Yeah, and let's not overlook the fact that, uh, you know, it's very easy to look at Mississippi State and we look at Mike Leach and all the numbers they put up on offense and and Will Mm -hmm. Rogers, he deserves, you know, it's early, but he deserves to be in that Heisman conversation, in my opinion. But really the difference maker, as far as Mississippi State can go, and I, I know you love, Talking defense too, Zach Arnett in his three-three-five. Yeah. That is going to be critical in this game. Uh, corralling Jaden Daniels and his dynamic ability to to run and pass for the LSU Tigers. This game, I think, uh, if it is a close game, it's going to be one on who wins that matchup. In my eyes, the Mississippi State defense versus the LSU offense that that did catch fire there in the fourth quarter against LSU. Wh- which one of those? Uh, that the Mississippi State defense or LSU offense, which do you think will have the advantage in this ball game? Uh, no, I think the advantage right now is, is Mississippi State, and Ooh. just and the reason I say that is is just the you know the the web like the the kid they went against last week. You know, nobody really mm-hmm. watched that game, but he was very dynamic. You know, he very mobile. I mean, similar to what LSU is going to do back there at quarterback. Um, you know, so, I mean, you're kind of bleeding into the third week with that one. That's just my, my thought. Um, I just, I don't know, man. I, and again, that just, it's Mississippi state mentality. Um, I think there's a lot of people that could easily overlook the bulldogs because it is just Mississippi state. And, um, you know, does LSU do that? I know there's a lot of fans doing that right now. I mean, it's clearly online. They don't think this is going to be a game. This is a redemption game for Kelly. So I want to I want to spin this thing back around on you, Mike, because I'm more curious. Is is this a must win? Not a must win. Is this a is this bigger for Kelly to win, or would it be bigger if Kelly lost this thing? I think it's bigger if he loses it, Shane. Because yeah. I don't care who Mississippi State's got at quarterback or a coach or, or how good they are. LSU fans expect to win this ball game, mm-hmm. even if Mississippi State's ranked and, and hell, we know they deserve to be ranked, but they're not. So perception is if you lose to Mississippi State that ain't even ranked in Death Valley, right. I'm not saying he's going to lose all his support, but you know, there's going to be people wondering what the hell's going on. This, this should never happen to the LSU Tigers. So I, I think it's big for, for Brian Kelly and, and and if they lose this game. And, it, and again, I don't really think it will, you know, hold his program back long term, but right. it's going gonna, it's gonna to start bringing up those questions. LSU is a pressure cooker, <laughs> brother. I mean, uh, yeah. they'll get your ass out of there quicker That's than, right. than shit. You know, I mean, I know he, he's got this mega deal, so he's not in any danger. But, uh, yeah, there's, there'll be serious questions. If he loses this ball game, I really do. I think those will start start to bubble up a little. Absolutely, I bet they're offering Nick Saban every off season. You know, just for the hell of it, just shoot him an email that he won't read. You know, just see him. <laughs> because they do. They want to win LSU, and that's one of those programs that can turn around real quick. They are very talented. They've got they've got plenty of talent on that roster. It's just getting everything together. Um, I mean, there was a big moral victory last week. I think they got to, they did work out some of their mistakes they made week one. Uh-huh. But, you know, again, if you overlook them Bulldogs, you, you walk right into a buzzsaw. Yeah. And let's kick it over to Mike Leach real quick, Shane. This is some funny comments on Brian Kelly. And, and interesting, you know, it's, it's important you listen to this one. Will Rogers, the trust that they have in him in this system, this is why he's posting mm-hmm. such incredible numbers. Coach, uh, LSU tried to out-athlete you guys in 2020 and lost, and last year kind of mimicked what other people do with the drop eight. Third defensive coordinator in, in three years. Does it really matter what they run, or are you just kind of true to what you're going to do, and how do you <coughs> approach that when there's a change in defensive philosophy? Well, we have to identify it. We have to be good at identifying it. I thought, uh, you know, last year I thought, you know, we certainly could have won that game. We didn't, but uh, – um, <clears throat> You know, the biggest thing is uh, react and respond uh, to what they do. But, uh, you know, just uh, keep executing what you do is the most important thing. So I think you want to identify it. You want to kind of pinpoint your package around what you think will be best. And then you, um, 
no matter what happens, execute whether you pick the perfect play or not. If you execute it, you still got a chance. New head coach uh, at LSU, obviously, Brian Kelly. What do you think of the, his resume, of him as a coach, and what's your relationship kind of like with him? I've known him from a distance for a long time. You know, he uh, uh, I was in small college the same time uh, he was. So he, uh, yeah, you know, I've always I've always liked him. He's a guy that uh, you know takes the X's and O's seriously. You know, he's not uh, in this business. There's a few sweater wearers. You know, they just want to wear the sweater and and uh, point uh, various directions and things like that. And and then uh, you know. Uh, just kind of a PR figure, but uh, he's not—he's not that. He's always been in the thick of it, and always uh, a very knowledgeable X and O guy. So I, I've always liked him. Yeah. Mike, going back to that uh, fourth down play that Will had that touchdown to Austin. Will had kind of said that originally you were trying to draw Arizona offsides, and then he made the the switch at the line or called the play at the line. I guess what. What did you? What did he see on that on that play pre-snap, and how much confidence do you have, you know, with him to, to make a call like that in a in a big situation? Uh, we let him do it quite a bit. Uh, we let him do it quite a bit, and then the other thing is, uh, you know, kind of depends what they give you. I mean, sometimes you've got something that looks pretty good, and sometimes you don't. You know, and you have to be able to react quickly to it. So, I can't say we'd always do it, but in that situation. You know, it, I mean, you guys would be raising hell if we hadn't gotten it, but uh, uh, we did. So, uh, but um, I think that uh, yeah, you, you, you want something where, you know, you, you're not just kind of in in in, you know, the rhythm of uh, uh, making a good play, but you know, you kind of see something positive, whether it's space or leverage or numbers or something. Uh, that you can jump on quick, and if you don't, then you're better off uh, kicking it or calling a timeout. But I said, hey, turning the page here to to LSU, good news here because uh, John Emery, running back one, coming off mm-hmm. his uh, academic suspension, uh, he had to miss the first two games, so that he's going to be back. That could be big for them LSU Tigers. Of course, blocking is, is going to be a little bit more important than, than who's running the ball, but I, I love the fact that Brian Kelly notes that, uh, you know, w- when you play Mississippi State, you have to come in with a balanced attack because the way it works, Shane, if you're going three and out, three and out, you know, you, you are putting your defense in one hell of a tough position with Mississippi State throwing it 50, 60 times a game. So, it, you know, you, you almost have to plan your offense for how they're going to mm-hmm. defend this unique what he calls almost a triple option offense, but it's a, it's right. o- it's obviously much different. Uh, it's triple option of passing offense, but uh, yeah, I, these two coaches have never gone head to head, Shane. So I, I'm just kind of fascinated to see how this matchup plays out. You know what? I'm fascinated to see what Emory had to do to make up some of them scores on. You know, <laughs> I mean, I always had to do like extra reports and stuff like that. You know, I, I remember one time we went to a museum, some museum or something like that. And I had to sit through this whole two hour thing. And I'm, I'm questioning myself, like, is it really worth the five points? You know? <laughs> so I'm just glad he's back on the field. And that's exactly who you need to beat Mississippi state, man. You've got to shorten the game. Yeah. You've got to keep the chains going. And that's something that, that Kelly likes to do. And he's just not been able to do. So maybe this is a little bit of that spark LSU needs to, to just to just keep the ball rolling because if you do that, that's that's how you beat Mike Leach offense is by keeping his offense off the field. Yeah, and it's interesting, Shane, because I would imagine Mississippi State's got a better defense than Florida State, yet LSU had just a, just a world of trouble blocking in that game. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, they did a lot better last week, a lot different opponent, but this game may just come down to the you know LSU's ability to run the ball because if they can't run – this this game could get ugly. Yeah. How much does it mean for the offense getting John John Emery back this week? Not only for the rushing uh, game, but also for the passing game and helping out uh, Jaden with the pa- pass blocking. Yeah, we're excited about getting John back certainly, and, and I'm excited for him. Um, you know, it's been a long run for John in terms of getting a chance to um, you know get out and, and, and play for LSU. Um, he's worked hard to get back into this position. 
Um, and now he gets an opportunity. Now let's let's be careful. Now he's he's been off for a while. Um, so um, you know to put a lot of expectations on him in the first game, we certainly can't do that. You know we've got other backs that have done really well, um, but he will be part of the mix and. Make no mistake about it. We've seen his capabilities in camp. Uh, we've kept him active within our rotation, so uh, he's ready to play. Uh, and we did that with, you know, obviously our, our mind eyes toward the SEC competition coming up. So we're excited to get him back. First, just want to check: Is BJ Ojolari going to be available this week? We expect him to be available, based upon my conversations with our doctors yesterday. Thank you. And then, you know, you've talked about Jaden Daniels kind of working on evaluating fronts, things like that. What challenge does the three-three-five kind of possibly present for him? Yeah, it's it's really about you know how the and again, I'm just using words here, so don't take it too. Uh, literal, but how the, the birds line up, right? I mean, it's a 3-3-5 defense, but they can move people around. So it's it's recognition of where those overloads come from and where those pressures, how you slide the front, how do we recognize, you know, who are the five to block in the run game. And, and the 3-3-5 presents some of those problems. And, you know, we'll have to do a great job of, of making it a little bit simpler. Um, you know, we think that a tight end helps in this situation where you can pick up an extra blocker in those situations to clean some things up. But um, I've gone against the 3-3-5 on many occasions, and it does present some unique challenges. It's very good against, you know, a, a spread offense. Sometimes you, you look to do some other things against it as well. It's a difficult um, system. And, and look, this requires um, your offense uh, to be really good as well. Your offense and defense have to be linked together in games like this. Your offense can't be just chucking it downfield and three and out. You have to maximize your possessions. You've got to be able to make sure that you're not giving them extra possessions. So the linkage between your offense and defense is absolutely paramount when you're playing teams like this. Hey, Coach, when you face a team like Mississippi State and they have so many curveballs, does that sort of – uh, make you have to sort of adjust the way you practice this week. Are there any sort of adjustments made on that end, or is it just you know practice try, try to practice more normally and uh, make the adjustments just more schematically instead of actual uh, game day practice? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I, I think perceptually that that people think that there's a lot of curveballs, but this is this is um, dive, QB keep, or pitch. There's maybe four or five, six concepts that are run so well and so efficiently that if you get too cute on defense, that's where you get exposed. Or you try to do one thing to take it away. If you play too much man, if you play too much three-man rush, if you try to be one-dimensional defensively, that's where you get in trouble. So this is really about trying to change up your looks, try to make it so they don't see the same thing every time. Um, but they're going to run what they run and they just run it better than you can defend it in three days of preparation. And again, I go back to that. I, I know you're going to get sick of the option, triple option analogy, but it's so true in that this is the air raid concept. They run it better than you can defend it in three days. So you better tackle. Um, you better have a, a really good plan on some of the things that they really like to do, or you're going to get exposed. Speaking of getting ugly, Shane, oof, man, I, I hope, <laughs> like hell, this is going to be a great game. But we got number one Georgia going on the road to South Carolina, coming off a tough loss there at Arkansas. Thoughts on this matchup, Shane, and what is it going to take for the Gamecocks to make us a competitive ball game? <laughs> a damn miracle. <laughs> I mean, let's be realistic here, Mike. I mean, I love the David Goliath story. I mean, they've done it before. Yeah. Um, but this isn't even the same Bulldog team. This this is a juggernaut. This is a uh, – I mean, it, it is alpha dogs walking in. So, I, th that's a tough, tough ask. But, you know, I don't think Arkansas is that far off, you know. And you and you scrapped with them. You, you kept it close. And, and a couple of missed opportunities, I think – you know, we talked about this uh, on Monday's show. You've you've got some some very explosive weapons on your roster. 
Get them the ball. Those type of athletes are the ones that that can take five yards to fifty yards. Those are the ones that can that that can shorten the the, the scoreboard. You know, so I that's in my opinion. You know, because you're not going to get to run against Georgia if you can't. You've not been able to run against anybody this year. So throw it out, man. Let's try something different. Look at maybe a Mississippi State approach. You know, maybe uh, you know. Hell, you don't want to go fast tempo. Maybe an app state approach. I don't know. <laughs> now you, I don't know what you do, man. The more I think about it, they, I would not want to game plan for the for the Georgia Bulldogs at all. But you know, like I said, you've got you've got some you've got some knives over there. Throw it at them. Yeah, and you know, I mean, normally, you know, home field is always going to be an advantage for you. Unfortunately, yeah. this is an early kickoff, a noon kickoff. I ha- I hate when we get these big matchups and they put them at noon. But uh, yeah, hell, it it certainly looked like Alabama was rattled at noon. Yeah, there in Austin, Texas. So any chance, and again, this may be slim because we know how fantastic Stetson Bennett is playing. He's one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the country. He's going on year fifteen there in Athens. But uh, you know, any chance he's rattled playing in, in Williams-Brice because the last time they played down here in, in, in Williams-Brice was the COVID year. So, you know, right. that, that doesn't count for, for fans and everything like that. It's going to be hot. It's going to be muggy. Yeah. Those fans are going to be fired up for the 2001. It's, it's just imperative that South Carolina gets off to a hot start here. You know what? Yeah, it is. It, and it will be the toughest environment they've played in since this year, you know. So, but a, a noon kickoff's not not a bad idea either because those are the ones you want to sneak up on teams. So yeah, I I, I mean obviously you'd love William Bryce at night under the lights. I mean it, it can get rowdy, but sometimes you can lull a team, and that's all you need to do is just keep it a game to the third quarter, to the fourth quarter, and then and then who knows what can happen. So yeah, but if you get blown out right out of the gate and and Georgia's up three or four scores, then you know, that's that's that would be tough, man. Yeah, and let's kick it over to Kirby real quick, Shane. I think you're really going to love this. You know, he was asked about being number one in the AP poll, and I'll just say it must be nice being the Georgia Bulldogs. Kirby, I see one of those you're talking about, like what they call the long handoff, the high percentage passes when you're talking about substituting for the runs. I wanted to ask about Spencer Rattler, though. And I'm sure you saw the film. Some of those deep balls he threw. I mean, how much of alert does your secondary need to be on for him and and that South Carolina receiving core? Well, they got a great receiving core. They got really good wideouts, fast wideouts. Um, guys, we struggled with last year. They've got you know, quarterbacks got an elite ability to throw the deep ball. He throw the ball over 70 yards, uh, stretch the field, and he's an athlete. So um, when you start talking about you know, like we played against Bo, we know Bo can throw the ball. Bo can scramble. He's a he's a guy that can move around. You got to be disciplined. You're going to have probably five to six snaps a game where you've got to use scramble rules. You got to plaster, um, take shots down the field. You got to win fifty fifty balls. Um, that doesn't change based on who we play. I mean, everybody we play, especially in the SEC, is going to be um, challenging us down the field, and you got to be able to win those win those one on one matchups. They've got really talented guys to do that with. Kirby, the last time uh, you guys played in uh, South Carolina, it was a COVID year, so basically nobody on this team has played in that bonkers environment. Is it silly to say or think that Stetson being a fan so far back and knowing that environment, is that an asset for a team that's going into, like I said, a, a really crazy place to play? The only asset to going into an environment like this is experience, and we've probably got... 20 or 30 guys that have experience going into Auburn, Tennessee, uh, places similar in terms of uh, fan experience. Um, so we've got some guys that can draw on experience. We've got some guys that will lean on those guys because they'll be new. Anytime you go on the road for the first time, guys have to get comfortable with that. We had that a little bit in Atlanta in terms of not being on our own field, but it certainly wasn't the same kind of environment we're going into this time. Um, and we'll have some guys that are young guys that have to lean on those older players. You guys have ranked number one in the AP poll, and talking with Cedric, it was sort of met with a shrug. What does it say about your program where you've gotten to that point and it's not that big of a deal to be the number one team in the country? It's never a big deal. It only matters at the end of the year. I don't know that we've spent many weeks outside the top ten, and it never mattered 
whether we were inside the top ten or outside of the top ten, it just is irrelevant. I mean, it's a lot more a lot more worried about how we execute a combo block than I am worried about what we're ranked and hopefully the kids are the same way. <laughs> All right, I was, I was just man, I just think that's a classic quote and and not only that, but it's like, you know, you see all these other programs just cracking the top 10. It, it, that's, yeah. that, that is that is such an achievement. That's a reason to celebrate. And here's Kirby's like, well, I don't give a damn about being ranked number one. And, and I get yeah. it because all their success. But I guess the point of me playing that is it must be nice to be a bulldog. You know what? Yeah, yeah. This is that this is that whole Kirby narrative in the off season that this, that was last year's team. This is this year's team. Yeah. You know, this year's team hasn't done anything. We have got to prove ourselves and our fans that, that we deserve at number one spot, but all that matters is at the end of the year, who's holding that trophy up. So, I mean, this is right out of Nick Saban playbook, man. <laughs> <laughs> now some, uh, some bad news, Shane, if, as if the task is not even, you know, gargantuan as it is for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, injury updates, uh, of course, yesterday they announced linebacker Mo Caba out for the season. Defensive yeah. end Jordan Strahan out for the season. And then here on Tuesday, Shane Beamer says uh, David Spaulding, Cam Smith, their outstanding corner, Corey Rucker, mm. their transfer receiver, R.J. Roderick, and Alex Huntley, all questionable for the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, this is like a damn mash unit coming off that Arkansas game. And, goodness, that, that this is the, the exact opposite of what – you know, maybe this is – everybody and their mother is going to be picking against you. Like you said, David versus Goliath. Yeah. That's the only silver lining I see here. Yeah, uh, and they are, man. They're going to be piling on and maybe – you know, sometimes these kids, they read that stuff, you know, they, they, they go in with that attitude that this is just a, another game. This isn't anything. And, and how many times have we, we've looked up and it's third quarter and it's a one score ball game. And you're like, why ain't they getting going? Why, <laughs> why is Bennett off? You know, why are these, you know, I mean, you, you could in your mind play that scenario, but it, it's, Man, you need everybody. These injuries ain't going to help either, you know. Right. So, it's um, it's a tough week, brother. I just don't know what to say. I mean, I'm trying to be positive, but I wouldn't want to. Play, I don't want to play Georgia, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, if my half my team's hurt. So, now last thing, Shane, Shane Beamer, he had some some classic comments in his uh, Tuesday presser. So let's kick it over to him. Coaches preach it constantly about focusing on yourself in a game week. You're taking on the number one team in the nation. It's a little bit harder to do, at least from outside noise as well. But also, you have the benefit of college football showing you that anybody can beat anybody last weekend. Are you using that? How, I don't know, beneficial is it to be coming off of that week to kind of help encourage your guys and build that belief? I'd say our guys have a lot of belief you know I don't I told our staff on Sunday I don't want to hear one person talking about anybody can beat anybody on Sunday I don't want to hear one person talking about shocking the world I don't want to hear one person talking about we just got to beat them we don't we just got to be better than them one Saturday we don't have to be better than them all 12 and then as soon as I walk out of my text I got or as soon as I walk out of the staff meeting I got text messages on my phone from family members essentially telling me the same thing so I'm like Jesus you know um but there's great belief in our program. Um, uh, I don't have to, like, rally them where um, uh, to make them believe. They believe. They have confidence. They should. We're a really good SEC football team, and we got really good SEC football players. Um, that a lot of players on this team that Georgia wanted on their team. And there's players on Georgia's team that we wanted on this team as well. So to answer your question, we have belief every single week. I don't have to sit in here and convince these guys that we can win the football game. We've got a bunch of competitive dudes on this football team that can't wait to go compete on Saturday. Shane, I just wanted to start with, uh, did you live in the same neighborhood as Kirby <laughs> when you were there? Right? Just keeping a theme of the last couple of weeks. No, nah, Kirby was making more money than me, so he was he was – he was living in Athens. We were all out in the suburbs, me and uh, out in Watkinsville, me and Sam. But y'all should do a story on the neighborhood that we all lived in because I would say that pretty much every assistant coach that's probably ever coached at Georgia has lived in that one neighborhood. So I lived in there with Jim Chaney, who was our offensive coordinator, Sam Pittman, 
Um, Glenn Schumann, their defensive coordinator, is in there right now. Um, Tracy Rocker was living in there. Jeremy Pruitt was living across the street from me as they were transitioning. Mike Bobo lived in that neighborhood when he was over there. Brian Schottenheimer lived in that neighborhood when he was on the staff. Um, I don't even know who's in there right now, but there's a there's a a bunch of them for sure. But no, Kirby was in the high end high end part of Athens as well. Rob Sale, the old offensive line coach at Georgia, lived in that neighborhood. Uh, Chris Wilson uh, lived in the house that I lived in. Will Friend lived in the house that I eventually bought. So it's a heck of a story. Roanoke, Mike Griffith, y'all. That's the name of the neighborhood in Watkinsville, man. Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks. Glad to be back. Sorry, yeah. sorry. You come in Saturday. You got a baby shower, bachelor party, anything else you're going to, my man? <laughs> I'll be there. I got, you I got know I love more, you, Mike. I, I got All one more wedding on the schedule for next year, so hopefully it can be a bye week or something. But it's not mine. But uh, and y'all know I love Ben. That was totally a joke, right? I don't, I don't need to be on SEC Network like another coach was in this league because he got into it with a reporter last week or something. That was totally a joke. So, all right, thank you. <laughs> all right, Shane. Well, at least he's got a sense of humor going into uh, this, hell. This I matchup. just said it, you know. <laughs> Any given Saturday, you know. Oh my gosh, he's right. I, I'd be, I'd be texting him. Could you imagine living in that neighborhood, though? Oh my god, that'd be fun. They all got golf carts riding around. I bet John Daly was down there. Oh, that would have been fun. Well, buddy, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the show. You got anything before we hop off the line? No, man. Uh, good show. I appreciate uh, everything you've done to get us to this point, Mark. Mike, Mark, <laughs> you know, behind the camera. Sorry. Drugs are kicking in here. Uh, no, I just, again, I appreciate all the hard work you put into the pod, Mike. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, getting all this stuff together for us. And, you know, listeners, they're, they're asking. I've seen a lot of koozie questions. You know, it's real simple. Five-star rate. Uh, on the Apple products uh, or the Spotify, just screenshot and send it over to our email. Mike, you got the, is it still uh, that SEC podcast at Gmail? Yes, sir. That SEC yeah. podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter with a DM. Uh, Sh yeah. Shane and I both have those open as does the podcast account, that SEC mm -hmm. podcast on Twitter. Just looking for a rating and a review on the Apple podcast app. If you don't have Apple, Spotify works and YouTube if you subscribe to the YouTube, do any of those, you know, really, really, really helps the show grow. That's all we're trying to do. We don't ask for much. When we send you yeah. a beer koozie free of charge, we got all 14 SEC teams. And I got a, about a dozen more I got to go send off today, Shane. So I, I cannot thank you guys enough for, <laughs> for all the support. And uh, my mailman hates hates me pretty bad. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> and I'm just throwing this out there, Mike. I have not seen... We've had several koozies at the games, uh -huh. and I don't think anybody has lost with that thing. So I don't know if it's good luck or whatever, but hopefully we'll see a, a few more wins this weekend with a, with a cold beer in your koozie. Absolutely. Well, brother, I appreciate you. As always, I appreciate each and every one of you for continuing to show up. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go Vols.